Once again, thank you, praise team, for leading us today. What great songs, what great truths that we sing, that uh, we have a king who has gone before us, who is perfectly righteous in everything, and it is his merit that has earned our salvation as our Christ lived perfectly and then died on the cross for our sin and rose again on the third day. That's the reason why we meet today, to worship him, to praise him, to grow in him, and to make him known. Will you turn your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians in chapter 1. 2 Corinthians in chapter 1. Just while you're turning there, I'll give you an update that this week uh, we received an email from Melinda, you know, our financial secretary, Melinda Eaton, uh, giving us an update on where we stand in our March for Missions offering. And, you know, we had a goal of $200,000. As of Wednesday, you, church, have given over $241,000. It's... It is an amazing, an amazing thing to be part of a church that values the gospel, that values uh, the gospel going to the ends of the earth and will give up treasures, $241,000 plus, in order to see that happen. So thank you for being uh, uh, engaged in that uh, opportunity to serve and to support the gospel going forth. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll begin our series, uh, verses 1 through 7 this morning. I recently read the account of a 15-year-old named Douglas. Douglas and his family lived in Missouri. Douglas had taken sick. He had flu-like symptoms for several days, and his fever had gone up to like 103 to 105 degrees for several days, and the family was growing concerned. So they went into St. Louis to a major hospital there, and he, they ran some tests on him, and it turned out he was diagnosed with leukemia. And this, of course, was very difficult for the family, and depression set in, not just for Douglas, but for his, his entire family. One of his relatives, just wanting to serve and help as she could, called a local florist and wanted to send some flowers to that uh, hospital room while they were there in St. Louis. And uh, so she called the, the florist and said, hey, these are for my grandson who just was diagnosed with leukemia, and we just want to try to brighten the family's day. So they sent there, the flowers were delivered, uh, the boy Douglas picked up the card, noted that it was from the relative, it was an aunt, and then picked up a second card that was placed in the bouquet or in the flower arrangement as well. And it was written by an employee of the florist shop. And she said, Douglas, I heard about your leukemia. I want you to know I feel for you. I'm concerned for you. And I also want you to know that I was diagnosed at age seven with leukemia, and now I'm 22. And Douglas, according to the the article, he just lit up. He was excited. Someone who had been through what he was going through, and it encouraged him. You think about that. He is there at a major hospital surrounded by incredible doctors and incredibly expensive equipment. And what encourages him is the note from a a young lady who worked at a floral shop to say, hey, I've been through what you're going through, and I'm 15 years out 
Friends, what we can take from that is the comfort that God gives, we pass on to others. I can relate to that testimony of Douglas. I mean, when I was first diagnosed with cancer, I can't tell you how many people I talked to in this church alone who are cancer survivors. Who It's encouraging. It's, it's comforting to know that God works in so many ways, and it's comforting to know that God works in and through people, and I want you to know that so many of you have encouraged me with your individual battle with cancer as well. There have been people that I've kept up with through the entire journey who have been struggling or who had struggled with the same cancers that I had even, and that has been an encouraging thing as well. See, this morning, as we begin this series in 2 Corinthians, we're going to see that the comfort that we need ultimately comes from our God. Now, it comes in a variety of ways. It can come through people. We're going to talk about the different ways that God comforts people. It can come through people as it did for Douglas that day. It can come through people as it has for me multiple times. But the comfort that we need actually comes from our great God. In fact, even the afflictions that we experience have purposes. And those purposes extend beyond ourselves even to comfort others. So we begin this series in 2 Corinthians this morning and while there are many themes throughout this letter which we're going to be uh, discussing and looking at and talking about over the course of the next several weeks and months, uh, the theme of comfort and affliction is prominent. The letter is deeply personal. It is Paul's heartfelt cry to a church that he has been at odds with for some time. And in this letter, we're going to see, even as we start out, that Paul is going to teach us that authentic Christian living includes suffering and includes affliction and trials. But that's okay. Why? Because it's in our weakness that God's power is perfected. So would you stand with me? As we begin this series, reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Acacia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may, able be, may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience as you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for these words. Thank you for what we learn about who you are, the God that you are, 
the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. And everyone in this room has experienced your comfort and is in need of your comfort. So today, as we look to this passage, God, would you open up our eyes to see and our minds to understand and our hearts to embrace exactly what you have for us today. May we be people who, having been comforted by your incredible grace through the various means that you send in our lives, may we be people who extend that comfort to others who are suffering as well, for your glory and for their good. And we pray these things because we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, as Paul begins this letter, a few things stand out right away. Paul is asserting his authority as apostle of as an apostle of Jesus according to the will of God. Now, the term apostle in the New Testament has a couple different senses or usages to it. One is a, a technical usage, one is a non-technical usage. So when we think about the an apostle in its non-technical sense, we're talking about someone who has been sent out by another entity or sent out with a message or sent out to uh, to to represent someone or something in some endeavor. Uh, we, we have a team right now serving in Central Asia. They're doing great. They're on the ground. Uh, God is beginning to use them. They're exploring. They're learning. And they are encouraging our church member, our missionary friend, who we sent out there. In a sense, our missionary friend there in Central Asia is an apostle of our church, right? She is one who has been sent out. She is one who is serving there. We have sent her out there. Now, there's also a technical sense of the term apostle. Now, the term apostle in its technical sense refers to those who have been specifically commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to serve as his representative. Okay, so this is true of the 12 who served with Jesus during his earthly ministry. It's also true of the Apostle Paul, as he claims here, because the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him on that road to Damascus, and on that road to Damascus, in that whole experience, is commissioning him to be his servant, commissioning him to be his minister, to go to the Gentile world and to the children of the Jews, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. Now, it seems really important that the Apostle Paul is making this clear from the very beginning that he is who he is because of God's will because of the situation in Corinth. Now, a little bit of background information may be helpful here. You know this, Paul founded the church in Corinth there on one of his missionary journeys. It's recorded for us in Acts in chapter 18. Now, some, he spent several months there. Sometime after leaving there, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, Paul wrote a letter to the church. He had heard of some situations in the church where there were some sin issues, and he wrote a letter to address that issue. Now, we don't have that letter. It's a, it's a lost letter. Well, after sending, uh, a, a, after he sent that letter, he got word from some people that there were other issues plaguing the church. So Paul wrote the letter that we call 1 Corinthians. So Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in light of all the different things that were uh, going awire in the church. And we know what those were, right? There were factions, there were disagreements, there was the abuse of spiritual gifts, there, were, there was the reliance on worldly wisdom, and there were all sorts of things going on in Corinth at the time. So Paul wrote the letter called 1 Corinthians to address some of those 
issues. Now, sometime after he wrote 1 Corinthians, Timothy visited Corinth and reported back to Paul that things were no different and actually maybe even were worse. So Paul abruptly leaves wherever he was and he goes and he makes a visit to Corinth and this is called, we'll see this, the painful visit. It was a painful visit. Apparently some church member or church members there accosted Paul personally and it was a difficult trip. It was a difficult time. Well, after that, Paul wrote what is called the painful letter. He decided not to go again right away and he he wrote a letter which was called the painful letter. We don't have that letter either. Well, after that, Paul sent one of his friends, his missionary friends, Titus, to Corinth, and Titus was there serving, and then Titus was supposed to meet back up with Paul later on and give news. Now, we're going to see this. Titus was delayed, and Paul didn't meet with him, and Paul kind of fell into a depression because he was so concerned about what was going on in the church, but eventually, Titus and Paul met up again, and Titus brought good news, and after receiving that good news, Paul writes what is this letter, Second. Corinthians. So several letters were written. Two of them were preserved by, uh, by the will of God for us to be in the canon of Scripture, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And 2nd Corinthians is Paul's letter to the church on, on the other side of some of the, the struggles that were happening in the church. Now we're going to see as we continue that not all of the difficulties were over, but Paul here was, was clearly writing at a time when things were much, much better. Now, as we see in 2 Corinthians, there is going to be some question about Paul's authority. People in the church, these, these who Paul refers to as super apostles or even false prophets at times, he will say that, he will, he will address them, but these, these false prophets were teaching that Paul, can we really believe him? Should we really believe that he was an apostle? Because look at all the suffering in his life. We wouldn't expect to see that much suffering in in an apostle's life, in, in Paul's life, if God was really with him. The church had begun to believe that Paul was fickle because his travel plans had changed, right? He said he was going to come, but then that trip was delayed, and and we're going to see this later in our study. So there were people in the church, factions in the church, who were questioning Paul, saying he was fickle. They also wondered why Paul didn't have these letters of recommendation that some of these other, quote, super apostles had, right? These itinerant preachers who would go around and they would bring with them letters of recommendation, right? Oh, we had this guy in one week and he was wonderful and he was great and, and you should listen to him. You should, you should listen to him. But Paul didn't have that. So these are some of the things that Paul is going to address in this letter. There were accusations. There, were, there was swirling testimony that Paul's preaching was dull and that he was a weak person. He was weak. I guess I'm in good company there. Because that they... Beyond that, they questioned why Paul wouldn't take payment for his ministry. Paul, often he would go to a place and he didn't want to burden the people there. So he would serve as a tent maker or whatever else he was do, or he would rely on funds from other people and, and he wouldn't burden the church. But, but these super apostles were saying, look, if this guy was worth his weight, he would be taking money. He'd be getting paid. And all these rumblings had been happening and, and there was difficulty bubbling up So as Paul writes this letter, he's going to address some of these very things. Friends, a little negativity in a church goes a long way. 
and can be very detrimental. When we think about the the people who were, quote, leading the church in Paul's absence, these super apostles, these false apostles, who were riling up the people, who were spreading negativity, we learn that this has a detrimental effect on the unity of the church. And that's a word for us today, too. When we are careless in the way that we express our opinions, when we're careless in the way that we express the things that we don't like, if we don't deal with the things that we don't like, with the people who it matters, who are involved directly, and we just begin to kind of let out some negativity and gossip, then, friends, this can have a detrimental effect on the church. And hear this, the Lord Jesus Christ is never pleased with that. He's never pleased pleased with that. So while Paul will deal with many issues in this letter, as John Polhill, theologian, writes, he wrote this letter after the heat of the battle was over, with much of the church having reaffirmed their commitment to Paul. This morning, three headlines are going to help us through this text. The first is this, know and praise the God of all comfort. Second, embrace God's purpose for comfort. And third, understand the affliction comfort dynamic. So first, know and praise the God of all comfort. Know and praise the God of all comfort. Paul begins this letter with a blessing. He is praising God for who he is. And for what he does. Now, we know that Paul was a, a former religious leader of the people of Israel. He was a Pharisee. And, and in the synagogue worship, there are all sorts of benedictions that were offered throughout their, their uh, synagogue worship. And so this isn't uncommon for Paul to begin some statement or some letter with a blessing, in a sense, right? It's not, it's not uncommon that this would be part of the, of the culture in the Jewish church. But here, Paul is clearly Christianizing the message as he speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he brings together the connection between God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the unity that exists there. So who is Paul saying God is? We learn that God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now, throughout the Old Testament, God's mercies describe his tenderness, especially towards his own people. On multiple occasions, God's people appeal to God based on his mercy. God, help us. You are a merciful God. You are a God of loving kindness. Would you help us? Would you save us? Would you rescue us? Would you deliver us? God is the father of mercies, and he's the God who offered comforts to his people. He's he's blessing God because God is like a father who loves to support, encourage, and comfort his children. Now listen, that's not a difficult concept for us to understand, is it? Because every parent in here, when your children are going through difficult times, has, has a sense of care and compassion and hurt for that child. And it doesn't matter how old they are, right? My parents are here this morning, and I know they would say that through my journey, they've been, they've been concerned, they've been praying, they've been caring, they want to comfort, they want God to be merciful, and you are the same way. When your children are struggling, when your children are hurting, you want to care for them. You have, you have intense feelings of love and compassion and concern for them. 
That God is the God of all comfort teaches us, uh, teaches us that the comfort that we need in life actually comes from the eternal God through our faith connection with Jesus. And it's not just some comfort, some of the time, in some situations. It's all comfort from God in the, effect, in the afflictions, all the afflictions that we face. Now, I want us to think about the difference between God's comfort and our comfort. Like God knows, God understands there are situations in our lives that we don't fully understand, that we don't fully know. So like there are, there are opportunities, like when our kids are little and they fall and they get a boo-boo and we, they, they're hurting, we, we have comfort, we can have compassion on them because we've experienced those kind of things. But we haven't experienced every difficulty and every affliction that people face in life. But God knows and God cares. And God is able to comfort us in all our afflictions we may be limited at some capacity but God is not limited like we are so when Paul writes that he's the God of all comfort he covers us in all our afflictions he means it whatever the affliction is if it's sickness or cancer or death or financial ruin or relational struggle or family chaos or divorce or depression or anxiety God cares and God offers comfort. All of our affliction, whether our affliction is brought on by the world, whether our affliction is brought on by spiritual warfare, whether our affliction is brought on by our own foolishness, our own sinfulness, God cares. All of our affliction, God offers comfort. God offers hope. God gives grace. That's what this passage is teaching us about our God. As a side note, Paul assumes that the Christian life is one of suffering and affliction. I don't know what the various strains of Christianity that deny such things should be part of the Christian's life do with passages like this, as if the Christian is immune or supposed to be immune to affliction. I mean, friends, Paul could have easily said, hey, if you're facing affliction... Rather than comforting them that God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, he could have said, the problem is you don't have enough faith. You just need to kind of figure out this faith thing and then you're going to move past the affliction. You're going to move through the trial and that's how you're going to be comforted because of your faith. That's not what he's saying here. What we need is not just a great, well, some of us may need a greater faith, but what we need is not just a, quote, greater faith. We need a greater understanding of God and the comfort that he gives. So what are the sources of affliction that we face in life? Well, one, we have an enemy that wants to destroy our faith. We have an enemy who wants to make shipwreck of our faith. We have an enemy who wants to destroy us. He's, he's prowling around like a lion ready to destroy or wanting to destroy us. So friends, spiritual warfare is a source of affliction that we face in our lives. And beyond that, we live in a fallen world, right? There is chaos and there is strife. There is brokenness. There is suffering. There is turmoil because of the sin brokenness that, that is characteristic of our world, right? 
Paul writes in Romans that even the creation is groaning, groaning for the redemption that will come through Christ, ultimately through Christ at his coming, right? So there's just this brokenness that pervades our world today. And then, if we're honest, some of the affliction that we face in life may be because of our own foolish choices, our own sinful choices, right? We, we do something stupid. We say something stupid. We get involved with things we shouldn't get involved with, and then it brings some difficulty and trial and affliction in our lives, whatever that may be. Maybe it's relational, maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional, whatever it is, and then we suffer. But friends, God still cares, And God still offers comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction. Even if it is a self-inflicted wound, God still cares, still loves us, still offers comfort, still offers hope, still offers grace. So the question is, how is it that God offers us comfort? How do we receive comfort? What does that look like? Well, that's a good question to ask. First, we should note that God's comfort at times comes to us supernaturally. God's comfort at times comes to us supernaturally, right? This is is the passage that Paul writes, Philippians, the peace that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, right? There is this sense that by the grace of God, in, in a way that we fully don't understand, God gives to us peace in moments of chaos, in moments of brokenness, in moments of affliction. And God is just comforting us in that sense, right? He gives us assurance even when it doesn't seem like assurance can be had. Now, friends, this peace, this this comes to us through faith as we cast our cares on God, as we trust him to provide. But the problem is sometimes we don't trust. And sometimes we don't cast our cares on God. Or sometimes rather than casting our cares on God, we kind of throw them out there, but then we reel them back in. And then we have our own cares still, and God's called us to cast them on him. If we want to experience the peace of God, if we want to experience the comfort of God, then friends, it depends on, at some level, our ability to trust in God, our our willingness to take God at who he says he is, right? Who the word says he is and believe that he is for us and not against us. Secondly, God offers comfort to people through the kindness and compassion and words and prayers and present, like the, the physical presence of others. In fact, in chapter seven, Paul's gonna connect God comforting him to the arrival of his friend Titus, who brought good news to him. Third, God comforts us by reminding us of the hope that we have in Christ. He comforts us by reminding us of the hope that we have in Christ. When life seems as though it's bleak, right? Our joy shall be our final breath because we know that we will be with him eternally that we will be connected, that we are connected, that every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies is reality for us right now. So we trust, we believe, we know that God is working. 
and we know that we're not alone. Church, we need to be convinced of who God is and the comfort that he offers. So when we're facing difficulties and we're facing trials, we should remind ourselves of how God reveals himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 34. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is who our God has revealed himself to be. The God of all comfort. The Father of mercies. Second, Paul wants us to embrace God's purpose for comfort. He wants us to embrace God's purpose for comfort. Now, of course, immediately, God's purpose for comfort is that he would care for his people. That he would comfort his people. That he would, he would show tender mercy and grace and he would build up his people. Commentator David Garland writes, God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one can face the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. But it's not specifically or only for that one specific person. No, God comforts and it has an extended purpose. A purpose even beyond the person being comforted in the moment. And that purpose is that those who have experienced God's comfort would then be able to offer comfort to others because they've been experienced. They have experienced God's comfort themselves. Ten times in these verses here, either the noun or the verbal form of the Greek word, ver, uh, word for comfort is used. Now, one thing to understand here is that the Greek word translated comfort has a lot of different nuances. It can mean a lot of different things in various settings. In fact, the same root word in Greek is used to designate the Holy Spirit, right? The, the paraclete, the, the parakletos, the one who is the comforter, the one who has come, the one who is counselor in that sense. So comfort in the Greek language can refer to encouraging someone in distress. It can refer to offering emotional support. It can refer to coming alongside someone to help or even admonishing someone to action or to change. Author Gary Millar says, such comfort can be an arm around the shoulder or a kick in the pants. The second half of verse four then tells us that God comforts us so that we can comfort others with the same comfort that we have received from God. So let's be clear, okay? Non-believers, we all have non-believing friends, they can offer comfort to a degree. It is a true statement, right? You don't have to be a Christian to be one who can help to comfort someone else. But ultimately, the comfort that we need comes from God, and it comes from those who have experienced the comfort of God, who then are able to share that comfort with others. Non-believers, friends, can't give what they don't have. And what we have as believers is the hope of a future. And we have the hope of the forgiveness of sins. And we have the hope of an eternal God who is with us and who cares for us. And friends, this ought to be part of the way that we comfort others. By encouraging them with who God is and what the gospel says. We have an opportunity to offer true hope. To offer true comfort. 
to remind them that their afflictions and that their struggles are not just random events or purposelessness and purposeless in their life, but that God is using such trials to shape them and to, and to care for them. And, and ultimately, that God has defeated death for them so that there is the hope of life. Listen, anyone can cook a meal for someone. Let me take that back. Not anyone. <laughs> None of you would receive it as comforting if I cooked a meal for you, okay? But you know what I mean. We can all cook a meal for someone. We can all say some kind words to someone. As those who've experienced God's comfort, it is our job to connect the dots of our compassion for others to the compassion of our great God. Always. Now, Many of you in this room have been the vessels that God has used to comfort other people. Through prayers, through meals, through kind words, through financial or emotional or physical support, or even just being present. You have been a vessel of God to comfort other people. I've experienced that. My family's experienced that from you, church. But I'm not the only person. In this room, in, in, your, in your connected groups, in your community, you have experienced the comfort and the grace of God from the love and the kindness of other people. God has used other people in your life to comfort you, to encourage you, to help you through what has been a difficult time, right? As Christians, we have the opportunity to speak truth and to, to love in word and deed because that's true compassion, testifying to God's care all along the way. And church, because God has comforted you, my encouragement to you is to continue to comfort others, to continue to allow yourself to be used of God to care for and to encourage other people in the difficulties that they are facing. Have you lost a child? There are other people who are going through similar circumstances that you can love and care for and encourage. Have you lost a spouse? Have you been going through marital difficulties? Have you been through disease? Who is in your life right now that God wants you to care for? That God wants you to reach out to? That God wants you to comfort? In the same way that he has comforted you to offer hope and comfort to others. Whether it's relational discord, financial distress, distress, excuse me, depression, family, family struggles. There are people who are in similar situations that you have been in or you are going in and God has prepared you to serve and to love. Finally this morning, understand the affliction comfort dynamic. Understand the affliction comfort dynamic. Let's look again at verses five and six. For as we, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. When you patiently, if, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So Paul here is highlighting the union with Christ, right? The Christian's union with Christ, both in his sufferings and in comfort. 
and how these sufferings serve a greater purpose and how the comfort serves a greater purpose in the lives of the Corinthians, right? When Paul writes of Christ's sufferings, I believe he's talking about I believe he's talking about what it looks like to suffer in association with your relationship with Jesus, right? Sufferings because of uh, his relationship with Jesus, following Jesus. Now certainly Paul faced numerous trials and afflictions in his ministry. Beatings and imprisonments and stonings and shipwreck and the list goes on and we'll see that as we look through 2 Corinthians But what Paul is saying here, and we need to understand this, for every affliction, every suffering he faced, there was always comfort. There was always sufficient comfort from God. And that's what motivated him and animated him to endure affliction. In fact, in verse 6, Paul says that the affliction that he faced, right, because of his suffering with Christ or for Christ in his ministry actually served to offer comfort and salvation to the church in Corinth. I mean, think about that. As Paul went with the gospel, as he was on his journeys, as he was going into different cities and villages and towns and regions, and he was proclaiming Christ, and, and, and affliction would come to him because of that, what's happening is that the gospel is going forward and people are having opportunity to believe. They're being comforted. And their salvation comes through the message of the gospel. Beyond that, the example that Paul set of faithfulness to God in the midst of extreme difficulty was a comfort. It was a comfort and an encouragement to the Corinthian church, friends, to all believers, right? Think about that. In the midst of the affliction that you face when you live faithfully for Jesus Christ, this can serve as a comfort, as an encouragement for other people who are seeing your life. Here's the thought. If Paul can endure that, then by God's grace, I know I can endure that as well. And the same is true in comfort as well. If God can comfort Paul in that, then I know that he can graciously comfort me in that as well. So Paul here alludes to their suffering, right? The suffering of the Corinthians, likely because they were seeking to live faithfully for Christ in Corinth, in this upward mobility, this upward mobile, you know, wonderful place where image was everything, where economy was so important. I mean, it'd be like trying to live a faithful life for Jesus in the most wretched city you can imagine. Or put a religious spin on it. It'd be like trying to live a faithful life for Jesus in a Muslim country. There's going to be affliction. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain. There's going to be hurt. But... But God is able to to make you faithful. He is able to keep you. So how does the affliction comfort dynamic work? God always provides comfort for his people in any affliction that they face as they receive it by faith. When we have the right view of God, when we understand his purposes and the trials that we face, then we are equipped to receive the comfort that he gives. And that's why Paul can say there in verse seven that his hope for the church is unshaken. 
because he knows that whether it's in affliction or comfort, God's people will experience God's comfort. Now, next week, we're going to look very closely at a specific situation that Paul's going to relay to, uh, to the church in a general sense. But I want to close here with a gospel thought. When we, when we observe the suffering all around us, we have an opportunity to love others. And whatever the affliction is, whatever the pain is, whatever the struggle is, friends, we have to have in our mindset as believers that the actual affliction that they're facing is not the most serious issue in their life. The most serious issue in their life is their sin brokenness. Yes, the affliction matters and we want to love and encourage people, but we don't love and encourage them well if we are not pointing them to the one who heals all wounds. If we are not pointing them to the one who gives all comfort, to the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, to the Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for their sin so that they may have eternal life in God's presence. So I want you to think about the people in your life who are suffering, the people in life who are hurting right now. And some of them may be non-believers. And yes, I want you to care for them and love them in the midst of that. But remember, friends, that the ultimate and the biggest problem that we all face is not physical. It's spiritual. And we, as followers of Christ, have opportunity to speak grace and truth into their lives so that they may know the hope that we know in Christ. So church, let's love people in truth. Let's go out of our way to care for people and to help meet immediate needs, but let's not forget that it is the gospel that comforts people best. Will you pray with me? Lord, we're so grateful for your word and the kindness with which you have given it to us and preserved it for us. We're grateful for this church family. We're grateful for the relationships that we enjoy in this church. And I pray, God, that you would deepen them and, and that you would continue to hold them, that you would protect the unity of this church. And I pray that we would be we would all see ourselves as your ministers to love and to comfort others who are suffering and who are hurting because we ourselves have experienced the comfort from you. So God, in this, in this room, we pray that your word would be going forth. You would, you would transform us more into likeness of Christ. But Lord, there are some here who are apart from faith in Christ. And we pray right now that you would bring hope and life hope and life. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, as we transition to a time of response and surrender, if you have questions about what it means to follow Christ, to know forgiveness of sins and eternal life, then we want to encourage you to, to come and we'd love to talk with you about that or call the office this week and make an appointment. We'd love to connect with you about that thing. If you have questions about what it means to join this church, we would love to be able to connect with you about what, who our church is, what we're about, and what it means to be a member here. Maybe you need prayer. Certainly, 
you can come forward and our staff would love to pray with you or there may be people who you're with here today who are in Christ and would love to pray with you right now. Let's be sure to submit to how God is working. Let's be sure to walk with the Spirit. Would you stand as we sing together?